Ksuvas Perik Tes, Mishnah Tes, 9-9, the last of the Perik, and it covers a wide variety of different cases. And we're basically focused here on the proof that a woman must present before collecting on her on her Ksuva in various cases. So the Mishnah starts out by saying, Hotsia Get. If she produces the Get in the Bezdin, confirming she's divorced and she got that Get in another Bezdin, but she doesn't have a ksuba to present, and she's now claiming she should get paid for a ksuba. So the case here, um, and this is really important to understand the Mishnah, is where in this particular locale, it was normal to never write a ksuba in the first place. Women got married, and they accepted the de facto terms of the Tukhanas Bezdin, of the Chazal, who said that um, every woman gets her basic 200 zoz or 100 zoz, whatever it is, etc., and that's that. So this woman's claiming, I got divorced elsewhere. He never paid my ksuba, and I want to get paid now. Now, since she doesn't have a ksuba, but she can't be expected necessarily to present a ksuba, because they didn't write them in that place, so she can collect gova ksubasa. She collects her ksuba. Now, if you ask, wait a second, this could happen then a hundred times. The answer is, um, what was customary then is, upon being paid her ksuba, they would tear up the get that she got. And since her get would be torn, she couldn't claim on it a second time. And if you'll ask, wait a second, she needs that get, how can she get married without a get? She needs to prove that she's a divorced woman to marry a second time. The answer is, she would keep the get, but on the back of the torn get, they would say, the bezim would write, we tore up this get, not because it wasn't kosher, it was a valid get. It's just that she now got paid her ksuba, and that's why we tore it up. And based on that, she'd be able to remarry, presenting her get. In addition, by the way, she would also um, give her husband upon paying out the ksuba, a, a shovar, a receipt that confirmed that he paid it. So he'd actually have, she would no longer have evidence of not getting paid because her get was torn up, and he would have evidence he did pay by getting the shovar, that receipt. Now, if conversely she presents ksuba ve'eni maget in that same locale where it wasn't normal to write a ksuba in the first place, but in this particular marriage they broke the norms, and he didn't just give her a regular marriage, he also gave her a ksuba as well at the time they got married. So she comes to the bez and she says, here's my ksuba, I want to get paid. Vein ima get, but she doesn't have the get. Now that's fishy, of course, because it's really the get which is used to collect a ksuba in this particular place, where women generally don't have ksubas, and that being the case, the obvious question is, well, wait a second, where's your get? And they're afraid it was torn up, because she previously claimed to collecting to collect on the on the ksuba without presenting a ksuba, just presenting a get. Now she's trying a second time. Hiomeris Avadgiti. She says the problem is I lost my get, but I assure you wherever it is, it's not torn in half. I never collected on it. So he responds that he did pay it. However, Vuhu Amar, not only did he pay it, but Avad Shovari, I just lost my my receipt. I don't have the proof that I paid it, but I did. So the din will be, we're going to skip some words of the Mishnah, in such a scenario, and the woman will not get paid. Again, we're suspicious that uh, it doesn't add up if she doesn't have the get to show she got divorced, so then we don't trust it, and we'll assume she got paid already once because that's the essential proof she must present in a place where they don't normally write ksubos. The words I skipped were, v'chein, the same kind of principle applies. If you have a balchov, someone who's a creditor, who has an IOU and says, you know, so-and-so owes me money, and he presents the IOU. So that seems, you know, cut and dry. What's the problem? The problem is 
we've passed over a Shemitah. And if you pass through the Shemitah the seventh year, so then at the end of the Shemitah year, all loans are relinquished and all IOUs are no longer collectible. The Torah says that they're nishmat, they're, they're released, and therefore the Balchov couldn't collect on such uh, IOU anymore because they passed through a Shemitah. However, he's claiming, well, what I did was I handed my loan, the right to collect my loan, over to the Bezdin in a process called Prusbol that was instituted by Hillel. And the Prusbol essentially is a takana, which uh, it, it's breaking the spirit of the Torah. The Torah spirit was that loans should be forgiven. However, it doesn't technically apply to um, a Bezdin's loan, only to a personal loan. So if the Bezdin has the right to collect, then the Shemitah wouldn't release that debt. And Hillel saw that people stopped lending money to poor people as Shemitah approached because they're afraid they would never get repaid. Therefore, Hillel said, here's a mechanism called Prisbal. You'll be able to hand over your loans to the Bezdin, and therefore you'll be able to collect them after Shemitah. Now, while that's bad for the the Yanim, and as much as they have to pay now after Shemitah, that wasn't what the Torah wanted, it's at least good for the Yanim in as much as they'll get money they need because without this Takana, people just weren't lending money. So Hillel acted in response to people's bad behavior. The Torah prohibits people from resisting to pages just because they think Shemitah is coming close, but people were. So therefore he instituted Shemitah, excuse me, instituted Prisbal. So this guy is saying, I handed over my loan to the Bezdin, and that there's a Prisbal document, I just lost it, but if I could find it, I, it would then prove to you that the Din is that the loan has to be repaid. However, you can't present it. Balachov Shahotzi Shtarchov, he presents the IOU that he has, after Shemitah, ve'ein imo prusbol, but he cannot present the prusbol document that says he handed it over to the bezin. So then, in both those cases, the woman who's presenting the ksubo that are get in a place they never usually write ksubos, or the man who presents his IOU document without the prusbol, and we pass through Shemitah, in both those cases, hare elu lo yipareu, they shouldn't get paid, and because they haven't got sufficient evidence to extract the money from the person from whom they're claiming it. Now, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Omer. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, he's not actually disagreeing, he's just adding a point. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, um, he, in his early years, um, was alive uh, during the Hadrianic persecutions. As a youth, they passed through the Bar Kokhmar vault, and he, and he went on to establish Usha, etc., after that. So Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, Mina Sakana, from the time that the persecutions began, and the Romans said, anyone who observes the Torah mitzvahs, suffers a death penalty. So therefore, people would be very hesitant to keep evidence that they had done various mitzvahs, like, for example, prusbol or get. So therefore, minasakan of elech, from the time it became dangerous to retain such documentation, people could reasonably be expected to dispose of them. As soon as they got paid, or they got paid, or did whatever they had to do, like do a prusbol or get a get, they would destroy the documents, they protect, you know, so there'd be no evidence that could endanger them. That being the case, they couldn't be expected to present such a document, like a get or a prosbol in court, and therefore, Isha Govaksubasa Shlobaget. At that point forward, from that point forward, says Rabban Gamliel, excuse me, Rabban Shimon Gamliel, a woman could collect her ksuba without presenting the get, Uvalchov Gova Shloba Prusbol, and a Balchov could similarly collect his debt after Shemitah without a prosbol, because it's reasonable to expect they would destroy that document so as not to endanger their lives. Not a machlokas, the Allah would be like that also, I suppose, in, in, in it's not Lamaisa, because that's not how the world, world works today, but it would have been Lamaisa in the, that time and place. 
The Mishnah continues and says, Shnei Gitten. What happens if a woman has two bills of divorce from the same husband? Ushtei Ksubos. She also has two Ksubos. And she says, I, need, I got married twice, this guy. We got married, we got divorced. We got married, we got divorced. Each of the two marriages had a Ksuba. And now I want to collect not just 200 Zuz, but 400 Zuz. Or I guess the truth is 300 Zuz. Let's say 200 Zuz for the first marriage, plus another 100 Zuz for the second marriage. Let's assume that was the Iker Ksuba that was all that was promised. So she wants to collect 300 so the din is gova ksubos. Indeed, she'll be able to collect on both ksubos and get paid twice. Because she's claiming she wasn't paid either time, and she has documents to support it. Again, now the case here, I want to make sure it's clear, is where the dates of these documents are. She has ksuba, and then dated after that is a get. Then dated after the, that first get is another ksuba, which suggests she got a second ksuba. And then there's a second get that follows. Because if, as we'll see in the next case, the Mishnah, she had, for example, says the Mishnah, Shtei ksubos v'get echad. If she has two ksubos but only one get, meaning she only was divorced um, once, but he gave it, you could give a woman two ksubos during the course of her marriage. And why in the world would a person do that? Because a person is essentially giving a woman like more. Let's say, for example, it's not additive, it's not a combining. It's two discrete ksubos, and she can sort of choose which one she wants. The first ksuba gave her 200 zuz. And it was dated way back when, and had a lien on all his property from the time they got married. The second ksuba, instead of saying two hundred, says for argument's like a thousand. But since it's dated later, so it only it will have a lien on you know his property from then and forward. So that gives her sort of options. She can either collect two hundred based on the lien, the earlier lien, or a thousand based on the later lien, depending on what's for better for her. So she's giving her he's given her two options, but of course not two. Ksuba to combine either the choice of one or the other, and therefore she can choose one or the other. O ksuba gitin. New case. She has one ksuba and two gitin. And she was married twice and divorced twice, but only had one ksuba. How would that work? The idea is that, as the mission will say explicitly in a moment, when a woman um, gets divorced and then prior to getting paid her ksuba, she remarries her husband. The assumption is that they are agreeing to get remarried based on the old terms, and the old ksuba should be in effect. So there's just one ksuba that would govern this. There's no payment the first time, and if she gets divorced a second time, she'll get the payment, the single payment from that original ksuba that was around from the first marriage that never got paid out. So that's in contrast to the previous case, the mission, where we had two marriages, two ksubas, and two divorces, where she gets paid like a double amount. Here, she's only getting... She got married twice, but never got paid out the first time. The assumption is they were reinstating the first ksuba. So there's only one ksuba payment altogether. She gets just one payment. Or ksuba veget umisa. Or she has one ksuba. Then she has one get. And then, kind of like the previous case, they got remarried a second time prior to, without, prior to the first ksuba being paid out. And then they said, listen, let's get remarried again. And the assumption is the old ksuba will still be in effect. But the second marriage didn't end in a second divorce, rather it ended with a misa, that it ended where the husband died. So again, in that scenario, there will only be one payment made to her, because the assumption is, when they got remarried a second time, they were just reinstituting the old tsuba to be paid out on the event of the dissolution of their marriage, their second marriage, which ended in a death. So in all three of those cases, I'm going to sum them up again, just so you keep, keep track now, whether it's she was married twice, but they only wrote one ksuba the first time, and it carried through to the second marriage. Excuse me, I ever said that badly. The first case is she has two ksubos and one get. The case is, he, during one marriage, he gave her a first ksuba, and then gave her a second ksuba of a later date, and let her choose which one she wants. Or she has 
um, one ksuba for two divorce documents because she got married twice, but they let it run through a second time, reused it, so to speak, kept it in effect. O ksuba veget vemisa. Or if there was one ksuba again, but there wasn't two divorces, just one divorce and one death. In all those cases, there's only one ksuba to be collected for, and therefore, eina gova el ksuba achas. She only collects one time based on that one ksuba, which is in effect, or in the first of those two cases, the one of the two ksubas, whichever one she prefers. Shehemagaresh es ishto vehechazira, because, at least with respect to the last two of those three cases, when a woman divorces his wife, and then he remarries her, without paying out the ksuba, almanas ksuba harishona machzira, the assumption is to everybody, both he and she, that they're remarrying based on the stipulations of the original get, excuse me, of the original ksuba, which... Uh, had yet been unpaid, but will be paid in the future if the second marriage ends up being dissolved. Now, that's that. Now, a new paragraph, almost like a new Mishnah altogether. Here, the Mishnah is quite difficult to understand um, if you read the words literally. I'll say it all out. I'll hear the words, then I'll explain what they mean. The words are, Katan Shesiu Aviv, if a child is married off by his father, so this is, a, say, a 10 year old kid whose father gets marries him off to a girl. That's what the words mean, but it makes no sense, of course. Subasa kayemes, her ksuba will stand. Shalmanas kein kaima, sorry, shalmanas kein kima, because is based on that assumption that uh, the marriage continued on. So what's the case here? So take a step back. Boys who are not bar mitzvah cannot get married, period. There's no such thing as them getting married through their own act, because it can't affect the Kenyan, and there's no such thing as their father marrying them off. There is such a thing by a father marrying off his daughter, accepting Kedushin on her behalf when she's a minor, but no such thing by a boy. So this, let's say for argument's sake, there's a boy here who's 10 years old. Let's say his wife is also 10 years old. When I say wife, everything in this whole line of the Mishnah, like the word wife, has to be in like in quotes, like inverted commas, quotes, that it's you know his quote-unquote wife, but not really a wife at all because they're not married. So the woman, who, they're both 10. They're living together. They think they're married. They're playing house. They're pretending they're married because they think they're married because their father didn't know what he was doing and they were all misled. But then they continue to live together and they both, you know, have their 13th birthday together. Now he's a bar mitzvah. She's already been bar mitzvah for a year. And now they'll continue to be married. So if that boy, when he was 10, wrote a ksuba to his pretend wife, his so-called wife, well, of course, as a 10-year-old, he can't be mischaiv himself, he can't obligate himself in anything. His ksuba is meaningless, it has, it's not binding, nothing, nothing, zip, zilch. But there's, of course, the de facto rule that every girl gets a ksuba. So that being the case, says the Mishnah, if they don't ever write a new ksuba, but they stay married past, their, past his 13th birthday, so then um, we'll say that their marriage is now a real marriage after his bar mitzvah, and she'll get paid off like a regular ksuba. Why is that the case? What's happening here? The general kind of guiding principle is that when it comes to effecting Kedushin, you do that one of three ways, Kesef, Shtar, or Bia. So the normal way is Kesef, you give something of value, or Shtar, you give a piece of paper that says, by accepting this, you're agreeing to become Kudeshas to me. Bia, sleeping together, that's not really a, a, a that's effective Midoraisa, the rabbis forbade it, but there's a rule in general, which is a person doesn't sleep with a woman uh, for no good reason unless he wants it to be, you know, in normal circumstances, kosher and part of a, you know, a sanctified marriage. And that being the case, as the Lashon and the Chazal is, in Adam Ose Bi'ilaso Bi'ilasnos, if he's sleeping with her, he intends it to be in the most kosher way. And therefore, if he's old enough to be Makadish her, which he is when he's Bar Mitzvah, through an act of Bia by sleeping with her, so then he'll sleep with her. 
Um, and that will affect the Kedushan. And since they're living together, that's automatically like in his house, that's Chuppah, and they're married forever after. So that's a normal marriage. So at that point forward, they're married proper from when he sleeps with her. And in terms of the Ksuba, they didn't write a Ksuba, but the Ksuba is in effect from before as if it were written in a kosher way. That's what the words mean. Now the truth is, that doesn't exactly, it's not exactly precisely true. What it means is the protections that the Chazal gave every married woman um, who is entitled to have a Ksuba, they'll give to her as well, which means that when he divorces her, she gets her 200 Zuz. Tosos ask, well, what does the Mishnah say? Sha'almanas Kain Kaima, it says the Ksuba's Kayemes, the Ksuba that he wrote for her, which was a joke, Ksuba, it actually stands because that's what they assume when they continue to get married, to stay married, I should say. So Tosa says, well, even if he didn't write a Ksuba, she would still get the same 200 Zuz. So Tosa's answer is, well, not really, because if the Kiddush is that although she won't get the thousand Zuz that was promised in her Ksuba if there was a Tosafas, she just gets the standard 200, at least she gets that. And that is a Kiddush, says Tosa's, because if it weren't for this, so if, let's say, they get married for the first time when he's 13 and she's 13, but they've been living together for already for three years, so then she would not be a basula. This wouldn't be the first time she slept with a man, and therefore she would not be entitled to the good old 200 level. She would just be getting the 100 level essential ksuba, 100 zuz. The point of her mission, therefore, is that in such a scenario, she still gets the full 200 zuz because that was the assumption when they continued to stay married together, even though there's no formal ksuba that binds it as such. And a very much analogous case over here, the last part of our Mishnah says, Gershnes Gair Ishto Imo. You have a couple. And let's say they started out being not Jewish. And you wrote her Ksuba. So the same way they thought they were quote-unquote married, but really there's no Kedushin or the like by non-Jews. And the Ksuba is not really Ksuba by non-Jews, so it's all a big farce. Kind of like the children who are married at, quote-unquote married at 10 years old. It's all a big farce. But the same way, once he becomes 13 and they continue to live together, they become married. And the ksuba we say is still like in effect, at least the minimum ksuba of, you know, the essential ksuba, ksuba. So, so too over here, the Gershness Geyer, they were living together as husband and wife. He had written her ksuba, the whole thing's a big farce. And Ishto Imo, but then when he converts and his wife converts too, now they're both Jewish people, they're married. So we say from then on, the same way the boy sleeping with his wife once he's 13 is now married to her. So to the Geyer sleeping with his wife once he's Nisgayer, once he's converted. Now it's his legal wife in halacha, and Ksuba Sakayemes. The Ksuba wrote ahead of time, so to speak, meaning the fact there is a Ksuba that persists. Shalmanas Ken Kaima, Kima, excuse me, that, because it was based on the assumption they stayed getting married. So here, it's a little more complicated, um, because we're saying the Ksuba is still in effect, when the truth is that there are many Rishonim, most notably the Rambam, who understands that her Ksuba payment will just be 100 in the event they get divorced. Why? Because the rule is, when one marries a Gioras, her Iker Ksuba is 100, not 200. So, and she was she was already, like, a, not Jewish even before they got married, so it should have been 100 even back then, because the assumption is that even a, before, like, a non-Jew, any woman who's a non-Jew already is considered to be already not a Basula, and therefore getting just 100. So it's a little not clear what the Chiddush, the Mishnah would be. Um, there are Shittas, and the Shulchan Aruch possibly also goes like this, that she gets 200, in which case that Mishnah would be exactly parallel to the previous case. If she gets just 100, um, like the Rambam learns, then it becomes um, a little more difficult to understand exactly what the Mishnah says, if the, what the Chiddush is here, what it means when it says that the Ksuba is Kayamis, but at all events, she certainly gets a Ksuba payment, whether or not he rewrites her a new Ksuba. And with that, we finish the ninth parak of Masechus Ksubos. Baruch Hashem.